Hey, what's up, everybody? This is an open discussion with C3 Films. My name is Chris, and this is Cheryl. And today we're going to be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the final part of the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy by James Gunn. So, if you haven't seen it, we are going to be do going into spoiler territory here. So go check it out. It's on Disney Plus right now, and then come back and see what we had to say with uh, say about it. So, but yeah, let's go ahead and jump right in, Cheryl. Like, Guardians of the Galaxy is has never been my favorite of the Marvel franchises. Um, really? I thought the first... Yes, actually. I was not a fan of the first movie. I thought it was okay. The second movie, which is the one that people, most people don't like, I actually liked a little bit more. And that's only because of Nebula. Because I, I liked the characterization of Nebula in the, in the second movie. Um, and the first movie, I hated the just... I, like, I liked some of it, but I hated the, the fact that it ends with like this whole dance-off thing and Ronan's supposed to be like this big, you know, evil guy and he's just sitting there watching Star-Lord gyrate and it's just so dumb to me. And then <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally the power of friendship at the end where they all hold hands and that's how they win and I just, oh my God, I hate that so much. But I can concede that the way I feel about the movie is not necessarily how everyone else does, and it is considered to be, and I know a lot of people love that first movie, and that is perfectly fine. I mean, the thing I like about Guardians of the Galaxy is that it's quirky, and it's fun, and it, and I think that because of how quirky and silly it is, it allows us to not take it seriously, and mm -hmm. because we have permission to not take it seriously... I feel like it makes it so that I don't dissect it as much. Um, mm -hmm. And because it's so fun, I feel like I'm able to just enjoy it without, like, getting upset. Not like like Ant-Man, the last, um, the Quantum Leap one, where, like, that one was... Because <laughs> I would also categorize that, you know, series of Marvel movies as fun and silly and easy to just like let go of taking it so seriously. But because it was yeah. so bad, I couldn't, I couldn't even like enjoy it. Like none of it was fun. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Hey guys. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, no, I, no, I feel you. Um, but that all being said, now that that's out there, I had to, the reason I said that is because I wanted to I want people to understand where I'm coming from when I say this. But Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is probably in my top 5 Marvel movies out of all the Marvel movies that have released thus far. I think the movie is phenomenal. Um for a multitude of reasons that we can get into later. Um but in general, this movie is kind of just I guess it was kind of something that is like more towards my sensibilities with how the movie is structured because this third movie, even though it has similarities with the first two, it feels like they took the guardrails off. Like before they had the safety rails in place, those safety rails are Disney. And then there was this whole thing with James Gunn and him getting fired. And then the franchise was in like limbo, but then they got James Gunn back right before. And then and now DC, Warner Brothers is taking James Gunn. But it felt like this movie, they basically said, Disney basically said, you know what, James Gunn, we're sorry. You can do whatever you want with this movie. And that is why there's a couple of firsts in this movie and a couple of things that you don't normally see in regular marvel movies that happen in this movie and because of that to me that's what make this movie makes this movie stand out among all the rest 
So, to be honest, um, I... I, I don't really know how to feel. I didn't think it was bad. Like, usually, you know, <laughs> for Marvel movies, I'm just, I'm, it's usually like, a, oh, it's not bad for a Marvel movie. And I feel right. like that's kind of how I felt a little bit. Um, but only because, like, there's just so much Marvel that I can't remember <laughs> everything. And so when I, you know started watching it i couldn't remember like some things that they were talking about i couldn't remember some people because it'd been so long since like the last time um, it's basically a sequel to infinity war yeah which was quite a while or slash ago end game, slash end game yeah. yeah and that was a while ago so um mm-hmm. it was just kind of hard for me to like pick up back where we were before and i think that's just one of the problems that is with Marvel is that you kind of need to have seen some stuff to to understand everything that's happening. Um, one of the one of the things that I was like asking at the beginning was like I thought Gamora died, so yeah, and she I... did. Yeah, and then they were talking about how like she's from like a different like timeline or something like that, and I have I don't remember that at all. So. Yeah, so yeah, and that was like one of those things where the the characters themselves were confused on it because um because a lot of them because all of them were snapped away except for Rocket, right? So they just know that Gamora died and when they came back Gamora was there um at the final battle, but she doesn't know who Star-Lord is. So that's why they're all going around and I mean Rocket and Nebula were the only ones that survived, but that's why they're going around and saying, "Oh, she and in some and a little bit of denial. They're like, "Oh, they she just doesn't remember what happened." Um when the reality is that their Gamora actually did die and this Gamora came through with the 2014 Thanos when Thanos followed everybody through the the time quantum portal. And that's why that's the Thanos that they were fighting. But anyway, the point is that in Endgame they were fighting a Thanos from 2014, and this Gamora is from that timeline from 2014 that came over with Thanos and and that Nebula, which that Nebula did die uh, from 2014. So yeah, and that can be kind of confusing if you don't remember and stuff like that. So I get you there. Um, but yeah, but like the movie starts off. In in a in a fashion that's very unlike most Marvel movies, it starts off on a downer. It starts off playing creep and having Rocket singing creep while walking around, and everyone's kind of like, you know, people are kind of whatever, but people are kind of sad. Star Lord is drinking, and they they he passes out, and when um, Nebula comes and carries him, uh, Drax looks at him and just like it happened again. And then the opening title screen where you show all of our heroes walking together is like is Nebula carrying Star-Lord passed out from de- like drinking himself into depression and like while Creep is ending its song. Like it's an amazing opening, but it is a downer opening. And that's like one of the first things where I'm just kind of like not something you normally see for a Marvel movie, especially one that's part of a franchise that's traditionally meant to be more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, I think yeah, I, I agree. I feel like the beginning was really attention grabbing. Um, it did remind me like okay, and it felt right because the last thing we remember about the Guardians, unless you watch Thor, um, was that like <laughs> forgot they were in Thor. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's forget that ever happened anyway. 
because uh, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't really play a part in this. Um, yeah. But uh, the last thing I remember is that Gamora died, and Star-Lord's really upset about it. So that the way this began, like, made a lot of sense to me. Um, the only thing that confused me, like I said, was, like, I thought she was dead, and that's why, you know, mm. the whole reason why he's so depressed and everything. Um, and, like, I feel like they kind of explain it, but then... Um, not, like, to the extent that would really help me remember and understand, but, um, I guess that's also kind of just my fault for not remembering, so, right. <laughs> but also, can you blame me, so, like, <laughs> um, guess it was a long time ago when that, uh, when Endgame came out. When Endgame happened, yeah, yeah, that was literally before the pandemic, but, I mean, Moving on from that, though, like, the movie kind of starts off um, kind of hitting the ground running, right? Because immediately we have Adam Warlock um, come flying in and attacking everybody. And people are getting messed up. And Rocket gets hurt, and that becomes the crux of what this movie ends up being about. Is that they try to save Rocket's life, but they can't save it because he has a kill switch on his heart. And they, that leads them to f try to, have, to ask the questions... Well, where did Rocket come from? How, who did this to him? How can we save him? And the structure of the movie then goes between the main timeline of trying to save Rocket and a past timeline, which is Rocket's origin story. And it's very well done um, from the standpoint of us getting to know Rocket even better because for me, Rocket is like one of my three favorite characters. Like in this movie, Rocket... Nebula and Star-Lord are the characters that I just, I love how they are in the movie. And that's not to take away, I think everybody, like, brings something to the team. But those characters just really stand out to me personally. And so, and I, I remember I had two feelings when I originally saw this movie where, one, I was like, man, it's really cool that we get to finally see Rocket's backstory. But on the other hand, I'm like, wow, is Rocket going to spend this entire movie like on a operating table and not do anything with the main cast of characters and that was going and that was going to upset me if that was the case and it is for most of the movie he is not with the main cast but by the time he does come back they do make it worth it and i think that that is one of the best parts about the movie yeah i think like i i felt like it it felt more of an ensemble piece this time around than before whereas like peter was the main character and i definitely felt like it was more even he even was kind of more in the background um mm -hmm. and a lot of the other characters had the opportunity to really step forward in this movie yeah. and i think that i enjoyed that because um i just liked being able to see the other characters and it just didn't feel like it was about peter like i'm done you know, with it being about other people. And so, so it was kind of a breath of fresh air for it to be about Rocket. And it was like, cool, mm -hmm. it's an origin story for Rocket and it's about him. And the, and the other cool thing is that, like, he's not even really in it in that mm -hmm. time period because, like, we yeah. do get to see Rocket, but it's, like, Rocket's history. And so we really see a lot more of Nebula working together with um, Mantis and... Drax, um, mm -hmm. and even Groot is, you know, I mean, Groot can only do so much, but, um, <laughs> but they, but they got to showcase everybody's strengths. Cause it's like, you know, 
everyone had a chance to play a part in it and like show off what they're good at and whereas before i feel like they didn't really have the chance to show what they can do like what's so great about the guardians of the galaxy and now in this movie we get to see that we get to absolutely see their team dynamic yeah and i think it's not only on display for like their skills but also how they interact like this um playnet kind of mentioned it in the chat just now but this was a movie that really showcases how they interact as a, as a as a team and as a family like there is a lot of yelling at each other in this movie and it's not all like played for laughs like there is yelling in this movie that's played for laughs and there's yelling in this movie that is meant to hurt it is meant to hurt people because people are upset and like this the one scene where nebula yells at drax for being an idiot and then her and mantis starts getting into a fight like that scene right there i love that scene for one because i also would get frustrated with drax and i thought it was kind of ridiculous that people wouldn't get frustrated with him because he actively causes problems so her reacting to drax in that way felt like oh okay so they do understand that he he is a problem and he is a liability she calls him a liability but then at the same time when mantis defends him you can understand why she defends him and then it the movie doesn't even it doesn't leave drax off there just being like an idiot that causes problems it actually does give him a strength that they would not have had had he not been with the group and that is his connection with these kids that they have to save at the end of the movie so it's it the movie finds balance in showcasing why you need each of these people to be a part of this team and what they bring in the team dynamic and why that if any one of them is not there the mission doesn't succeed even though sometimes there are problems just because of the fact that they're there but that's one of like the that's the other strength of this movie yeah so i was gonna say the other thing that um made me kind of excited to see this is because um when i was watching the opening that's when you kind of see like oh who's gonna be in the movie and mm-hmm. like i started seeing all these names pop up like nathan fillion <laughs> And I'm like, whoa, okay, so you know, usually when Nathan Fillion is in something, it's because he was asked to be in it, and he's like, oh, hell yeah, because he's the kind of person I feel like chooses projects that would be fun to do, especially if he's just going to be playing, like, a smaller part. So, um, and that's, that's the kind of thing, like, when you see stuff like that happen where big names play small characters it's because there's a reason like they want to be part of the project because the project is a good project and that's Mm. i think that really shows um at the beginning uh of the movie and just like i forget who else was in it but there were there were a bunch of people who were in it well what was that half half of those people that you're thinking of are all the people from the suicide squad (laughs) <laughs> and, oh. and Peacemaker because oh, yeah. they're all like James Gunn's like one is James Gunn's wife and like James Gunn's friends but yes like a lot of the cast members that you see in this movie we saw in Peacemaker and the Suicide Squad movie uh, even the main villain was the guy that was leading the team on Peacemaker the guy who plays the high evolutionary so yeah there's a lot of characters that are cameoed in this film and when i originally saw this film i was like wait a second what is harcourt doing here 
I don't understand, and my brain didn't make the connection that I'm watching a Marvel movie, not a DC movie, because of the fact that I just recognized the character and was just like, that's Harcourt. Why is she here? So, yeah, no, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of cool like um, cameos in this movie. Nathan Fillion, like you said, was one of the top ones too, and it just shows that there's like just a love of this like either the, like the the team that's making the film or just like the franchise itself. And yeah, it's really cool to see those characters. And to mention the High Evolutionary as a villain, so this is a this is a character who is definitely very villainous and very evil. And it's all based off of him being a scientist. And I think that the way that they portrayed him, I like the actor and what he did portraying him. Um, but also just like the idea that he's making these planets because he wants to like try to create a perfect race and or just make a perfect uh, system and everything else like that. We meet these characters in Rocket's Pass who are all these animals that have been operated on. And they, like, have, like... And that's another thing. I love those animals. Uh, we love those characters. The moment we meet them, we know exactly what's going to happen to them. But they're also kind of horrifying, like, to look at. Like, yes. the, the big giant... The rabbit? The rabbit? Yeah, the rabbit in particular. The walrus also is, like, uh So, these are some creepy-looking animals. Um... But we learn to love them because this sh this movie does such a good job of characterizing these CGI characters, including Rocket himself. And we really bond with them and we care about them. And the High Evolutionary, he has this moment with Rocket where he doesn't understand why the animals that he's evolving are like coming out with like and being aggressive. And Rocket solves a problem for it. And it messes the High Evolutionary up up it like confuses him he doesn't understand how something that he created could have an idea that he did not think of and that leads to the crux of his motivations for wanting to go after rocket he is the one that sent adam warlock to um or sent that race and the uh, people that control adam warlock to go and get rocket because he wants rocket's brain because his whole thing is that even if he can create the perfect society it does not matter if they cannot have a thought that he did not implant in them so the fact that Rocket was able to have a thought that he was not able to figure out makes that brain um, makes that brain worthy of study, and therefore it makes it worth any risk that could happen along the way. So the other thing about this movie is it made me cry so much. There are like multiple moments in the movie that were so emotional that was really hard to like sit through and like <laughs> not cry and I think like <laughs> something like there are movies out there that are like fun like this that give you moments that really make you emotional but like multiple freaking times like it just because like and you can like see it like on Peter like he he can't lose Rocket because he already lost <sighs> Mora and he's like I can't and the, the thing is like I feel like they're all working so hard to keep the family together but then at yeah. the end they're like you know yeah, I think we should yeah. <laughs> I can't talk about it <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> cry <laughs> oh my god see no and that's what that's, look, but you're right like when when they think that Rocket dies and Peter is screaming like you know that is a big moment there's another moment when rocket's friends all get killed after um the high evolutionary comes and kills lila and then 
Next thing he knows, like four and teeth are also dead when people come in and he tries to protect himself and he turns around and they're just dead. But that initial moment when Lila dies, that is a moment that like doesn't happen in most Marvel movies. She dies and Rocket just looks at her and screams. The music is playing and he is just screaming. There's no laughs, there's no joke. He is just screaming and they let they want you to feel it. They want you to feel his pain. And then the higher evolutionary mocks him and then yeah, and then that's when like Rocket attacks him and bloodies his face up and everything else like that. But like the thing that makes this movie also feel like not a traditional Marvel movie is its willingness to let um, dramatic moments play out without under, without undercutting them with the joke, without making you feel like I need to laugh here. It's like, no, the movie wants you to hurt and it's going to let you hurt. And that's another reason why this movie is just like leagues and bound over most Marvel movies, regardless of how people feel individually about their list. Like... This is just one of those things that this movie does better than other movies. Yeah. And even standalone without just like without the whole Gamora thing, I really feel like it stands alone very well. Um, And that's Mm -hmm. something I think that a lot of the other Marvel movies lack is that they're just like really insistent on tying them together. But this one doesn't. Yeah. Um, It just leads in with the precursor of having some knowledge of uh, previous movies. But I just, I just really felt like they really used the idea of family and keeping the family together. And like I, like I was saying um, earlier, they end it with having the family split apart and everyone's kind of going off on their own, doing different things. So some stay, some are staying together, but others are splitting off to, to you know, figure out other things. Um, mm-hmm. Which also made me really sad, but. Um, but, you know, I'm interested to see in what's in store for them next because it does sound like their their story is not finished. There's going to be some kind of continuation. Maybe in some kind of way. We know that Star-Lord's definitely coming back. So in some ways, I hope that their story is kind of just concluded because I think that the ending is just really sweet. Um, you know, like Star-Lord's, Star-Lord's ending feels earned. And same thing with Rockets. Like, Star-Lord was someone that was taken away from his home at a young age, and he never really got to contend with that. He never really went back home and connected with his family. So him going back home to try to figure out who he is and connect with his family and not be so hung up on, like, a woman is kind of cool. I really like that for his story where he's like, yeah, I'm going to go and learn to swim. I'm going to stop leaping from lily pad to lily pad. And then Rocket becoming the leader of the Guardians, you know, and think like that when Lila said to him, it was like, it was your story all along. Like, man, it's just like all these really good moments. So, and well, this movie has a couple of other things. Like we have the first F-bomb um, that's been in a Marvel movie and it's one that doesn't feel forced. It felt like it worked. And that's another thing where we haven't heard an F-bomb in a Marvel movie before. So, you know, hey, James Gunn's like, hey, I'm going to do it in my movie. You get one. Yeah, it's allowed. You get one. And he used it well. Um, (laughs) Then we had the high evolutionary literally say, I'm going to raise it all and start again. And and he destroys an entire planet. He destroys, destroys an entire planet of living organisms. And we get to see that happen. We have Gamora run out the ship. And she is watching as people get blown the the f up in front of her and she he literally destroys an entire planet and this is also a movie where our hero uh star lord he tackles somebody out of a window and when the, after the person thinks that 
Starlord's gonna let them let him live, and he takes him and he kills this guy and he enjoys killing him. And this is something that you don't normally see a hero in a Marvel movie do. But this hero of Star Lord does not care. He wants this guy dead because of what was done to his friend. And like, there's a chance he could have taken that that thing off his head and had the guy live. But no, he he wanted to make sure that guy suffered and that guy died. And that was the hero of our film. So there's a lot of different things in this movie that you don't normally see from Marvel movies and those things those elements appease to my sensibilities they're what I'm looking for in any type of movie they're things that are going to get me to care they're things that are going to make me intrigued or interested and for that reason that's why this movie works so well for me that's why it's one of my favorite Marvel movies and it's definitely the best Guardians movie, but I think it is my fa- one of my favorite Marvel movies right up there with Winter Soldier and Infinity War. It's really that good. Yeah, and I think like part of the reason why is because they do things that aren't normally done and for Marvel and um, mm. and, and that are just kind of not expected generally um, in, in most most movies. Like it's it's not cookie cutter anymore like we're kind of deviating away from like it's not like dramatically off of the cookie cutter but it's off enough for it to be noticeably different from what we normally see um Mm. like another thing that i uh kind of felt confused about was um like what they were doing with gamora and developing this new gamora in terms of her relationship with the rest of the family Yeah. Um, and I thought that, she, you know, she was going to be seeing how close they are and how important they are to each other and that make her want to rejoin the the group. But no, it didn't. Nope. So it's, it's so good. So if it's it was so regular Marvel, <laughs> she would have rejoined the group, <laughs> she but she didn't. They would have been happily ever after. She would have re-fell in love with Star-Lord all over again yeah. and they would have rode off into the sun. Not in this movie. Nah, they, they go their separate ways. They had that moment where it's just like, I bet we were fun. We were. And now that's it. I'll see you around. Or or not. Yeah. She had her next, own family. Maybe the next movie. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, it's, yeah, like you said, it feels so organic. It's crazy. Um, yeah, she has her own family with the Ravagers now. She has found her own way. This is not the same Gamora. And, yeah. and that's why something different happens. And it, it's really interesting because Flash, uh, the, mo- the television show, did something similar where Flash Barry Allen um, saves save uh, saves Iris before she like is in love with him, and then after saving her, she's she's falls in love with him. But then he has to go back in time because basically Central City gets destroyed. And when he goes back in time, he tries to go and talk to Iris because he knows that she loves him, and so he tries to like re like get that relationship going again. And she's like, "What are you doing? Get off of me! What are you? What what's wrong with you?" And it's another. It's one of those examples of just like under the right circumstances in the right situation, two people absolutely can fall in love with each other, but without that stimulus, without that event, it it's just as likely to not happen. And that's the case in this movie with Star Lord. It's like, yeah, the reason Gamora fell in love with you is because of the things you guys went to went through together. That's not what this Gamora went through, and therefore, yeah. since it's not what she went through. The situation, the stimuli is not correct, and therefore it's not going to happen. I do have one pickle with that, though, because mm-hmm. um, if you recall the one scene where one of the Ravagers um, was killed by Adam Warlock, 
uh, yeah. during the interrogation, and then his mom picks up the intercom and starts. Then Gamora, Gamora calls, but yeah. she doesn't. But Gamora doesn't realize, like, oh, that's not one of my people, and then that's, she just goes. That's how people sounds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no. So I was like, so she, <laughs> she's not close to her people then, if she doesn't know who they are, and so that's part of the reason why I thought, like, oh, they're gonna do that thing where. She's, mm-hmm. she's gonna be like oh they're they're really close and i want to i want to be part of that yeah but um no i think that's like that's just the one little detail I was you, like, oh. you are right because this woman also doesn't talk like a ravager even if she doesn't know what everybody's voice sounds like she this point person doesn't talk like a ravager yeah, so she's like high-end I, british woman yeah <laughs> i remember thinking that same thing but at the same time i thought at the end um, I think the reason the end still worked with me for Gamora was because when she goes back, it's kind of this idea that she's going to like make her own family, even if she's not close with them yet. Because even um, Quill says, "You're not a Ravager, I am," you know, because he like grew up with them. So he's like, "Who are you? You just met these people." But I think that it shows that Gamora, after what she's experienced with the Guardians, she kind of wants that for herself. And so rather than get it with the Guardians, she goes and tries to get it from the people that she's spent more time with. Because the Guardians she might have spent like a week a week or a weekend with. But these other Ravagers she might have spent the last couple of months to a year with. So however long. So like I see her kind of seeing what she experienced with them and wanting to create that with these other people. So but that absolutely is a good uh, point. One other thing I want to bring up, uh, Playmat mentioned it in the chat, and I didn't even realize it. Um, I remember I saw it, and I didn't think about it, but when Rocket makes the card key that allows him to escape in the past, in the present, he has it. And that means he always carries it with him. So he actually never got over that trauma of what happened, which is why he still has it. And I think that that is a nice, another nice little element that's a part of his character. And then... Obviously, like, he had this whole thing where I'm not a raccoon, I'm not a raccoon. And then when he saves those other creatures that look like him and he sees that they are, in fact, raccoons, he has this moment of recollect- of realization and then acceptance when he gets into a final fight with the high evolutionary and he says, my name's Rocket, Rocket Raccoon, and then shoots him. And that's great because from the comics, we know him as Rocket Raccoon. And that moment felt like the equivalent of the Avengers Assemble moment from Endgame, where we have been waiting to hear them say Avengers Assemble for all these movies, and then they finally say it at Endgame, and it and it and it and it's worth it. it. It feels like a moment that is earned. That's what it felt like here, where he had been called Rocket for three whole movies, and now at the end of the third one, he finally is like, you know what, I'm Rocket Raccoon. That's who I am, and it was like a, a wonderful punctuation on it. Like, there's just so much that this movie does well, and that's another thing I want to mention. Yeah, and the, the I think the last thing I have to say is um, just that how I appreciate that even though, you know, like, these characters have been through things over, you know, the, the last, you know, like, hundreds of Marvel movies and content and stuff, um, and the one thing we didn't lose was um, the characters. Like, they mm-hmm. were always still within the range of what their characters were and should be. And I feel like, I I don't know, I just really appreciate the consistency that mm-hmm. um, I didn't feel like I was watching a movie that was different from the rest of them in the sense that, like, these are just different people, like, these are just the same people playing different characters. Right. 
Which I yeah. do feel like kind of can happen sometimes with like the different series of Marvel movies for of individual hero movies. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. There, these char- these people know their characters, and they were very consistent. Um, the last thing I want to uh, that I'll kind of bring up is that the action in the movie is still really good. The music is still very much a part of this movie. I like the music. I love the ending scene where they all are dancing together. Um, we didn't talk about Kraglin or Cosmo, but I love their I love their little mini like sea arc that is happening in the movie of her Kraglin calling her a bad dog, and then she saves him, and then now he's a, she's a good dog. That was a really good moment too. There's so many things that I could talk about with this movie. There's the hall fight scene, like Marvel brought brought back their hall fight scenes from the olden days of Netflix Marvel. Um, with the Guardians and uh, with the appearance of one take and it's very cool and the music is great and it's just like everything the line from um, the higher evolutionary where he says there is no God that's why I stepped in like there's just so many good parts to this movie that we can't really all talk about in this one uh, segment but at the end of the day I will say that this movie for me is a total package when it has character, it has action, and it has emotional moments that'll that'll get to you and make you cry. And when I walked away from this movie, I called this movie the feel-good movie of of the year because at the end of the day, even though the movie hurts you, it also feels good because these characters are all still alive, these characters love each other, and they all get endings that you feel are earned and nothing that feels forced or unnecessary and because of that when i walked out of that movie i felt good it's a movie about family and friends and that's what they are and even if they're not together they're still family and friends yeah and playmat mentioned in the chat um that the characters aren't reductive like unlike thor so um yeah that's exactly what i meant uh it was just Mm. very consistent like they're not they're not changing from movie to movie and like me you know like the style of the movie is different from the other ones but the characters are still within the realm of reasonable uh, range of what they would be like for their characters so or maybe yeah. it's just that it's like you know it's progressed it's progressed into this movie in a good way so that's maybe that's the reason I think- why I think the other reason is because, like you said uh, about the trauma, they don't use trauma for comedy, which is what they did with Thor. Mm-hmm. Thor had a very interesting idea for trauma where he lost his he lost his brother, he lost his mother, he lost his father, he lost his world. Like he lost everything. What's he gonna do with that? And they could have played uh, played for the, played with that as a character beat, a character moment. He even had the trauma of I didn't kill Thanos, and that's why half the universe is gone. But rather than them do something interesting they played it for laughs mm-hmm. but in and guardians don't get us wrong everybody it is funny we are talking about like the trauma and the the, mm-hmm. the sadness it is still funny it is absolutely super funny. funny you will laugh yes yeah. you will you will laugh watching this movie <laughs> but the difference is that those laughs don't come at the expense of character and um and like sad moments or or traumatic moments they let though they you get to feel both in this movie you get to feel the highs and the lows and sometimes they might intermix but never at the expense of each other and that yes. is why it is like one of the best movies out there from marvel and because it is one of the more balanced films that takes their characters seriously but allows itself to still have fun with them yeah it's funny when it's supposed to be funny and it's sad when it's supposed to be sad yeah 
And neither, neither thing interrupts the other. So, and they're not intertwined. Exactly. And I think oh. that's like, yeah. <laughs> that's one of those examples of us talking about it. Usually I talk about a movie and while we're talking about it, if I don't like it, I start to hate it. This is one of those examples where I talk about a movie and I already liked it. And now talking about it, I love it even more. This movie is amazing. <laughs> so like, it's, uh, I don't, we'll see how we feel at the end of the year, but this movie is definitely in my top three for me personally out of movies i've seen this year so but that's everything that i had to say uh we got along on this segment but i think it's worth it for the movie that we had to talk about um is there anything else that you want to say before we got out of here uh nope that's all for me so yeah guys that's what we thought about guardians of the galaxy volume three we we loved it here but what did you guys think about it did you love it did you feel like it was a good ending for the guardians uh as a whole would you like to see some of these characters return a future movie is the high evolutionary your favorite villain out of all marvel villains whatever you thought about this and more comment below let us know and we're down there if you give us a like share subscribe even if you don't though i have been chris and this has been i am groot <laughs>